Hello from Bhutan this week features the photographer and filmmaker Paul Chining Doji. We also feature some dogs barking. I did point this out to Paul, but Paul said it's not a Bhutanese interview if you don't hear dogs. So do bear with us. And hello from Bhutan. Today on my podcast, I have somebody who actually needs no introduction if you're a Bhutanese. He's a really well-known photographer, been storytelling through still images for a while. He's recently moved to telling stories through moving images. I have with me Pao Chining Doji, and we're going to be talking about his maiden film, which just premiered in Bhutan. Welcome to the show, Pao. Thank you so much for having me, Namgizam. Absolute <laughs> honor and privilege to be on your podcast. How does it feel to bring your film home? Well, as I was saying yesterday, it's a very uh, surreal experience. A little bit nerve-wracking, actually, because, um, uh, you know, I've had the honor of uh, presenting Hema Hema and also Luna Nayak in the classroom in some of the most prestigious cinemas and film festivals around the world. And this is the first time that I was presenting something in front of family, friends, fellow Bhutanese, and that also in, uh, in Thimpo. So it was nerve-wracking, but as I had shared with the audience yesterday, I think these, this is the most important audience uh, for me. Why is home the most important audience for you? Well, you know, at the end, the film is a Bhutanese film. And um, it tells Bhutanese stories. It is in Zonka. So I just feel like people who know me, people who know the stories that I'm writing about, I'm creating, they would be the most critical, I think. But that being said, what amazed me yesterday was the audience was the most responsive audience I've had so far and uh, because every scene you know they were either laughing or gasping or you know some were shedding tears it just felt really wonderful because you know in throughout the movie i put little scenes here and there where you know um i had hoped people would laugh and of course abroad you get certain reactions but yesterday was just it just felt like everyone was getting you know the story i think it's also because it's in zonka and you, everyone here understands zonka so do you have a reaction that's a favorite from home from home i think yesterday what, what amazed me was uh, the number of grown Bhutanese men who came and told me they cried and uh, that that is something something you know actually because i thought all along i mean people wherever i've showed this movie from london to egypt to california everyone does say oh this is such a you know heart touching emotional movie but i thought that when it came to bhutan bhutanese people would uh, wouldn't find these things emotional and touching but to have all these people say it's emotional and to have some senior members of our society men come and tell me oh you know Oh, uh, I was crying throughout the film. That surprised me. What do you think made them cry? A lot of them say that it uh, they could relate to the character, Ugin. Some said that Ugin represents every Bhutanese. The journey he's on, what he's seeking, the sense of belongingness that he's seeking in his journey. And they could relate to that, I think. Do you have a favorite character in the film? Actually, I'm quite proud of uh, Michen. <laughs> he's um, my favorite. Because, uh, you know, uh, it, it happened almost by accident. And actually, I think, uh, you know, I have to thank you for that. Because what 
what I did was I did auditions for the movie and uh, the person who plays Michen uh, Ugin Nobulindo popularly known as Giant he showed up for the auditions and then when he showed up for the audition he really impressed me with the, his performance but then when I looked at him you know I had envisioned Ugin to be someone not as physically imposing as uh, Giant and when he came for the audition he was like you know up to this morning I was just lying in bed wondering whether I should come for the audition or not <laughs> then I looked on Facebook and I saw so Namgizam had shared the post oh, really? for the audition so <laughs> I said okay I'll give it a try anyway I I told Mitch Giant that I said you know you're too physically imposing to be uh Ugin but I said I like what the qualities that you have and if you are willing I can cast you but not as the lead but as uh you know a supporting character to make it more you I can main, name the character Michen to be go with Giant so I mean by the time I created the character of Michen the movie was already set you know we had Ugin we had Bemzam we had Saldan all the characters the storyline everything was set so Michen was the last character to be added on and i think this character kind of glues the whole story together of course each character is so important and ugen of course played by uh, the talented sherab dorji saldan uh, played by uh, kelden hamo also so talented they all have important roles but i myself am pr- proud of how i was able to create michen in the last minute and how it comes together what was the shift like from telling stories through still images to moving to film in the heart of heart i'm 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 still a storyteller and in in you know people who follow my posts on Instagram or Facebook they and see Lunana Yak in the classroom they will see little bits of stills and stories and characters that I have written about or photographed in my Instagram posts and how they have come together now in the film so at the end yes I'm a storyteller and uh, I will still I think take photos write and uh, now make movies but it is a very beautiful experience where you know you hear these stories you capture these images and how you have the now the ability to bring them to life with film it's just a very fulfilling experience when you when 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 it comes alive how different was it for you to move from a work that is usually done in solitude as a photographer to move into making a movie where you have to be with people minimum 10 every day it's nice it's a very nice experience actually you know uh with my photography projects a lot of times i find myself alone in secluded places places like afghanistan you know in the gobi desert but also when you're like that you get a lot of time for self reflection but also you know i myself i i like having my own alone time but also you know in the film set it's it's a wonderful experience because you have a group of 35 people who are basically going into the trenches with you and you know who have all come together because they believe in the story that you have created and uh, you you know learn from each other for example like you said this is my first film i've worked on vara and hema hema as the producer and director's assistant but to be the director and writer this is my first time and uh, throughout the film i always told my crew members some people who have worked in over 65 commercial films and i told them that i said you know yeah i am the director i am the writer but 
I'm also learning. So I have to learn from you and you have to give me patience because every day I'm learning about what I'm supposed to be doing. So, you know, I give a lot of credit to my crew and cast for having the patience uh, as I found my way around this job. Your movie, in a way, is a little bit deceptive as in everybody wants to go and live in Lunana now because it's romanticized so mm. much and portrayed so beautifully. But I remember you telling me how some of you got cabin fever when you were up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, actually, I was just talking to someone this morning about how in Bhutan right now we seem to have this you know in, in search of this I always go back to a sense of belongingness the most common way to put it I guess is seeking happiness but I don't want to keep uh, you know parroting the word happiness <laughs> but there are so many Bhutanese who are looking for that you know America Australia okay but you know now there are Bhutanese going to Iraq which is it, it, I, I find that very strange but so with Lunana what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a story where you know because even Lunana the word itself means the dark valley so far so remote that the rest of Bhutan has always regarded it as the most remote backward place and my uh, motivation with this creating the story was you know as the, the modern Bhutanese looks upon the modern, the West, the place that is illuminated, the light, the New Yorks, the Sydneys. What if we try and look for what we seek in a place which is known as the Dark Valley, you know, the most remote place of Bhutan and uh, see, you know, if we can find it there. And you think we can? Or is this oh, definitely. Open? Definitely. I mean, you know, there are hardships there. That's reality. Like you said, cabin fever, altitude sickness. And as Ugin realizes, no electricity, uh, no telephone network. But, you know, that's where I think when you have the outer distractions removed, that's where you discover yourself. And I think many, including myself and my crew members, we discovered that, you know. Mm. Like when, when we first... Uh, came up with the story of Lunana, some people told me, oh, it's so difficult to shoot up there. Why don't you shoot it in Pobjika mm. and pretend that it's Lunana? But then what I had in mind was if me as a director, me and my crew and my cast, they lived in Lunana, you know, they had to, they couldn't shower. They had to, you know, be with the yaks, be with the Lunaps, you know, experience that hardship. Then I feel like then it would translate into the movie as well. And I think it has come, come across. All of you did get brown. Yes, yes, yes. For example, <laughs> for example, the last scene of uh, Ugen in Lunana was shot at the end of our stay up there. Mm. So you can see Sheriff Doji sunburned, his hair is all messy, <laughs> his jacket has a shining layer of dirt. So that all comes out, translates onto the movie very nicely. Do you have a favorite moment when making the film or related to the film? There's this one scene uh, where characters Ugen and uh, Salden meet for the first time. And uh, I had it in mind of how it would be and how, you know, he would uh, run after her down the mountain. And but again, this is the magic of uh, cinema, you know, because what happened was we did that scene. And um, I admit, you know, f uh, filmmaking, what you all see is the nice part. There are a lot of like uh, conflict, a lot of problems going on, uh, you know, <laughs> behind, behind the, the scene. So like what, what happened was uh, when we did that scene originally, what I had in mind was I wanted it to be like clear blue skies, you know, and uh, these two characters walking down the mountain. But what happened was Keldon, who plays Salden, she couldn't remember her lines. <laughs> and uh, I was being, being too tough on her and she got very emotional. So then that scene, we couldn't do it because she was emotional. So then, of course, I said, OK, if 
fine, forget it, we won't do the scene now, you know. And I was like scolding, I was like, oh, you wasted an entire day for us, blah, blah, blah. So then we had to reshoot that scene. So we came back after like two weeks to reshoot that scene. And the blue skies were gone. Mm. It was cloudy, <laughs> it was windy. But that worked so well later on, I think. Mm-hmm. And I have to thank Keldon for uh, <laughs> not remembering her lines and for us having to reshoot that scene so that we can capture now what I think has become the most uh, iconic uh, scene of Definitely. the movie. Definitely. It's actually, I think, one of my favorite scenes in the mm. movie. It's what you, this case is what you would call a blessing in disguise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I think, you know, uh, for all the aspiring filmmakers, uh, you should remember that sometimes uh, not getting what you want is good mm-hmm. because you get something even better then. Did you think that you'd receive uh, a recognition for the film so early on within like the first few months of its release? You just were awarded in California? Uh, thank you so much. Actually, I didn't think, uh, you know, because I always felt, uh, I mean, Lunana, you know, it's a heart-touching movie, but I felt like it was, uh, you know, internationally, I didn't think it would do that well. But somehow, the audience really connects with it. And I find that so magical because here you have a story that revolves around the value of yak poop, yak dung, you know, <laughs> shot in the world's most remote school, unprofessional actors. But somehow it connects with the audience. It mm-hmm. connects with the film festivals. Uh, we did extremely well in uh, Vancouver. Like for example, London, uh, you know, we were not in competition, but we were chosen, our tickets were sold out within the first two days. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we were screened uh, in the best of the fest, which is the best films of the festival at the end of the festival. Same with Vancouver. Now Vancouver, we had two screenings, but it was so popular that they extended it to three, four, five. And, you know, still there were long lines of people waiting outside in Cairo of all places that really surprised me because here you have Arabs you know Mm -hmm. uh, in the Middle East and uh, their taste for cinema is very different from you know for example from something like Lunana but there we came second in uh, the Golden Pyramid competition which Mm -hmm. uh, is the best film of the festival chosen by the critics and most of the critics were established uh, Hollywood and European Chinese directors and we came second losing by just one point and uh, then we came second in the audience choice award as well losing by just uh, 0.03 points but you know Anamgi I have to tell you that when you go into this competition I had no expectations but when you realize that you were so close to winning and then you didn't win and second place doesn't get a recognition you feel kind of bummed. like yeah you feel bummed and I, I was frankly very disappointed and I kept telling my uh, friends I was like wow you know I think coming second is more disappointing than uh, finding out that uh, that you didn't even uh, you know were in the top five or something but even with uh, Palm Springs it was a real uh, honor it was you know of course in Palm Springs throughout the festival people kept saying oh you know uh, Lunana has a chance of winning this award but I, I didn't really believe it because uh, like I said yesterday there's 192 films 51 are Oscar nominated films and uh, we were screening with films like Parasite Marriage Story and uh, to for the audience to choose us over them I was so blown away and you know I didn't expect it I, I, I was busy actually trying to bunk the <laughs> closing ceremony because I had no expectation I was on my way on a road trip with friends when I got the call to show up uh, for the closing ceremony and it was it's, it's, it's a very like you know amazing experience to get something like that and get recognition 
reactions at the different film festivals that you've been to? The Calcutta Film Festival is, I think, the world's biggest, has the world's biggest prize money for a film at 58 lakhs. So, you know, we had one in 11 chance of getting that. But trust India, you go there, the projector's broken. <laughs> Colors all over the place. The sound is gone, uh, and I was like freaking out. Uh, you know that the judges, are, the jury is watching my movie in the state, and this theater was a one thousand five hundred seater. It was packed. There's the scene in the movie where the little Lunap children uh, raise our flag and then sing the national anthem, and there I was in the corner of the theater arguing with the festival programmers. Suddenly, like I heard all these claps, you know, of chairs going back, and I looked over, and the entire cinema was standing for the Bhutanese national oh. anthem and at that point I you know stopped feeling angry and upset and I was looking at these Indians uh, you know these Bengalis you know removing their hat and standing up for our national anthem and I had tears in my eyes because I was like <laughs> wow how, how amazing is that you right. know that is you know different people react to the film differently but that was something that really blew me away another interesting experience was in Egypt in Cairo Film Festival because the Arabs Middle Easterns are already very conservative so uh, they are not as expressive as other audiences especially the the girls so we presented our movie at the Cairo Opera House which is a beautiful theater and me and Ugin Lundup and Sherab Doji we came out and we were walking in the parking lot in our goes and then there was like maybe I don't know 50 Cairo like uh, girls standing in one corner and they had watched our film of course and as we were walking by one girl had the courage she came over and she said excuse me can I take a photo with you three and we said yes and then became two became three and suddenly we got mobbed it was such a uh, surreal experience because these uh, Middle Eastern you know girls with their hijab so shy but somehow you know they really connected with the movie like for example some of those girls still write to me they said that before Lunana came to Cairo they had absolutely no idea where Bhutan was or what Bhutan was and now they find them themselves looking online where is the closest place for them to try Emadatsi. <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, again, going back to the beauty of film, that's so amazing that, you know, you create something you can go out like that. Like people have been calling Lunana a postcard from Bhutan. Where else is the film going to go? Well, so far we have uh, completed uh, 12 film festivals. We have more festivals coming up, but I am not at the liberty of uh, sharing it yet because the festival has to announce it from their side first. But I'm very happy to share that uh, the film has uh, secured distribution in France, mm -hmm. in China, in Taiwan, and in Japan. So in these four countries, the film will be screening in public theaters. Wow. Public theaters, online platforms. Mm. Yeah, it's very exciting. I do I want you to share about how you guys gave back to Lunana because there's a lot of people who listen to this mm. podcast who may not be aware mm. because they're not at your festival so they mm -hmm. weren't here at the premiere but I really like how you gave back to the community well um, you know uh, the, the Lunaps they really opened themselves to us when we went up there we were all home staying in different homes the school let us use the school the local villages I'm sure if you saw in the grand credits many of them were the kitchen staff the porters <laughs> the head cook the head cook yeah, so they really helped us. And it was always my intention to make this movie and tell their story, but also leave back something that would help them. So, for example, um, we took...
took up four big solar batteries, uh, which uh, basically powered the entire movie production. But instead of bringing it back, what we decided to do was we decided to give them to different people up there. Uh, we gave them to the you know the the main household of the village, the school up there, and uh, basically our rations too. Whatever food we had, we distributed it among the schools, among the PHUs. We rebuilt the school. For example, we shot in Mendel Thang School, and uh, you know uh, we were given the liberty to make the classroom more in tune with what we had in our vision. For example, the original classroom was too small to fit a yak in. So what we had to do was we had to make two classrooms into one classroom. And then uh, what uh, you know they let us do all that. But then at the end, what we did was we you know rebuilt the walls. We put proper roofing on the school uh, and you know presented the school back uh, to those teachers. But you know Lunana is one of the harshest places. Uh, just recently, I, I saw in the news that the windstorm had blown off all the new roofings that we had put up. <laughs> but that that is the reality of the situation up there. You know, mm. it's, I mean, you saw. Uh, I think uh, when the lake burst was happening, many of the Putinese saw a bridge that was washed off. Yes. That was the bridge on our poster. It's very, very difficult living up there, very harsh. Another thing is uh, we took up uh, generators. Even the generator we gave to the locals. Uh, we took 2,000 liters of uh, petrol to power our generator, but uh, we only ended up using like 20 liters because the, our solar batteries uh, were enough to power all our equipments. And I think the 20 liters was uh, actually used by uh, cinematographer Jigmi Tenzing to watch his Arsenal games. So. <laughs> Uh, even up there, you know, somehow he was able to tap into EPL. We were, I think, part of an online betting game at that point. So it was yeah. really important for him to follow the games. Yeah. But that's an aside. I also want to, because we were talking about um, Vishli Kalpa's floods, which brings me to climate change oh. and the environment, and how there's this moment in the film that yeah. you consciously put in a line yeah. about the snow lion, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I put that in because uh, I think not only uh, Bhutanese, but also the world, when we talk about climate change, when we talk about... Actually, the important lessons of life, we always seem to, you know, look for guidance and example from the modern, from the educated. And sometimes it is the values and lessons that come from the culture, from the traditions, from our forefathers that have the most value. Like, for example, I mean, I'm not, uh, it's not a spoiler, but in that scene, like what Michen tells, uh, you know, Ugen, this is something a yak herder told me. And I found it so provoking. I was like, wow, that, that, I never saw it that way. Because actually, um, the snow lion, scientifically, biologically, it doesn't exist. Who sees a white lion with a blue mane? But if you really look into it, the Buddha had spoken about the Tak Sing Chung Druk, you know, the um, tiger, lion, dragon, and the Jachung. And these four, apart, other than the, uh, the tiger, other three don't exist. But the Buddha said that they all represent the quality of the enlightened mind. So my intention of putting that uh, dialogue in the movie was that, you know, here we have uneducated yak herder telling the school teacher, the educated school teacher that, hey, you know, watch out because of global warming, because of human greed, the mind of enlightenment is going to disappear from this world soon. So, yeah, this is an important lesson that I think needs to be shared, you know, it's coming from our traditions. You know, film is an amazing platform to put messages across. Do you get tired talking about the film. <laughs> I think uh, in, in film festivals, you know, sometimes uh, realize that I sound like a broken record. 
<laughs> because in film festivals, you know, you have to present the film. You get asked the same questions again and again and again. But actually, in Bhutan, it feels different. Like I said, this is the first time I'm presenting a film in Bhutan. So you know, the questions people ask, or you know, the comments people have, it's very very different. Mm-hmm. It's refreshing, and I'm actually enjoying it. Do you make your films uh-huh. for Bhutanese, keeping Bhutanese in mind, a Bhutanese mm-hmm. audience, or are you making the films as a Bhutanese for people outside of Bhutan? Oh, actually, I think that will change with the films that I make. Like for example, I think I didn't create Hema Hema, but I was the producer of Hema Hema. A lot of Bhutanese who watch Hema Hema said this film is not for us. It's too abstract. But then actually with Lunana from the beginning, actually, you know, to be very frank, it was the banning of Hema Hema that inspired me to make Lunana because I thought, okay, if a movie like Hema Hema cannot connect with the Bhutanese is banned in Bhutan, then I want to make something that can, uh, you know, do well outside, do well in Bhutan and prove to the authorities what film can do, what good film can do. So that's how we came up with Lunana. And it was always my intention because I feel like, and I've said this also on the on the radio with uh, uh, Soup uh, when we talked about film, I feel like there's like a big division between the commercial films and the independent art films in Bhutan. Like the commercial films make their film, the independent art films make their film, and then the independent art films are looking at the commercial films and thinking, oh, these commercial films will never go beyond Bhutan. Then the commercial films Bhutan are like, oh, these independent art films will never do well in Bhutan. They seem to look at each other that way. And I always told my friends that I want Lurana to come smack in the middle. And it does. Uh, it does. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to, it to come in the middle and I wanted to kind of like hopefully show to the independent art films that hey we can make world-class films that connect with the Bhutanese audience you know but then I also wanted to show uh, the commercial films hey you know we can make a story that is simple that the common Bhutanese audience can appreciate but make it at a standard where it does well internationally you're working on two more scripts pal yes um Actually, you know, the Lunana Ayak in the Classroom was a script I wrote in three days. So I go through these phases where I feel very inspired and very creative and I'm able to churn out a story in like one, two days. And then I have like lazy sessions where I probably like, you know, spend hours playing Fortnite with my friends. But uh, yeah, since Lunana was made over the last year, I had like maybe a few days of inspiration where I did create two more stories. One is uh, about, uh, well, it's it's a derogative word, but about the Koktis. Of, illegitimate children? Yes, uh, about the Koktis of Eastern Bhutan. Mm-hmm. And the other one uh, focuses on Bhutan going through a transition. And uh, that focuses on the first introduction of uh, television in Bhutan, internet coming into Bhutan, Bhutan transitioning into democracy. I think these are stories that have to be documented, you know. What happened when Bhutan transitioned into democracy is something so beautiful. You know, uh, I was telling other filmmakers, I said, everywhere in the world, people fought for democracy. People died for democracy. There was bloodshed. But in Bhutan, because of our enlightened monarchs, democracy was gifted. But then there was this comedy where people were like, no, we don't want democracy. We want to be ruled by our kings. And, uh, you know, uh, so I think these are interesting stories that defined our era, our generation. And it needs 
needs to be told, needs to be preserved. And I think that is the responsibility of filmmakers. You know, we need to capture these stories of who we who we are, what defined us, what we went through, you know, our stories so that future generations of Bhutanese like my children or my grandchildren, they can look back and be like, oh, this is what, you know, this is how Bhutan was back then. And are you going to follow the same method you use for Luna now where you actually draw from experiences in real life? Oh, so yes. it's going to be pretty non-fictional. Yes, yes, yes. I think I will always be like that as a filmmaker. I, I will never be making a film where the teacher is uh, having a love affair with a yak. That's not me. <laughs> I think there are enough filmmakers who make films like that. I will always uh, draw inspiration from realities. And that's why I think a lot of people even say Lunana is like a docu-feature. And that's what I will do. I, I think I'm not that talented to make other types of movies. So this is what I will stick to. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Multi-Hyphenist. And you. I love the concepts you just shared with me. I'm looking forward to that materializing sooner than later. Thank you so much.